It's July 11th, and this is Rabbi Adler Shiur. Again, for a few days, coming back early Wednesday morning, and the feeling was sometimes there are delays, and uh, they didn't want to chance it, so they said that next Wednesday they'll have a pinch hitter. There'll be a substitute, but I'll be back then uh, two weeks late, two weeks from today. All right, so I know it's a little erratic, and some people are in and out, so we'll just start uh, with a topic that's related to the season, uh, not necessarily a scientific topic today, but uh, the situation of Tisha B'Av pushed to Sunday, which occurs occasionally, and sometimes, um, like in a cluster effect, it happens uh, two out of three years, four out of five years, and I think it's been happening the last few years, and uh, I think next year again it might be the same. Of um, I believe it will be the same next year. Of um, Because when Pesach comes out on... Um, on Shabbat, the first day of Pesach is on Shabbat, so whenever the 15th of Nisan comes out, so the 9th of Av comes out on that very day of the week as well. And that's not an accident. That was built into the 19-year cycle to give you a feeling on Seder night that something is missing, that there we have an incomplete Seder. If anybody thinks that the Seder was just wonderful and beautiful and all the matzahs were great and the knedlach were fantastic and everything, you should know that we're missing. We're missing the Beit HaMikdash. We're missing the Korban Pesach. So um, the Seder itself is uh, somewhat lacking. Uh, and, and that is the correlation, the connection between um, the calendar day of the week of Tisha B'av and the first day of Pesach. No different than in Tfilat Musaf on Yom Tov when we um, reminisce about Beit HaMikdash, B'nei Beit we say in Tfilat Musaf of Yom Tov, the nostalgic reflections of Beit HaMikdash, Vashev Koanim Lavodatam, and it was actually amazing that our Rebbe Rav Zalvechik, who was no musician at all, um, he, he uh, readily admitted that uh, from the various talents that he was divinely uh, given, he wasn't given musical talents. And uh, we knew it. He was, he was right. He was absolutely right. He was right. But in, having said that, he always used to say that in the third Beit HaMikdash, uh, he's not going to be in the choir, and he's not going to be a musician as a levy. He was a levy, which was the task of the levy. And there was also a task of the levy to be the honor guard at the door, where he thought that that was inappropriate for him in his standing to be a, an honor guard person. So he had to figure out what he was going to do with the third Beit HaMikdash, and he, he, he hit it ultimately that he was going to be the private tutor for the Kohen Gadol, for the Yom Kippur service. So he thought he really had a handle on what his job would be in the third Beit HaMikdash. But uh, having said all that, he once had, he, he had some interesting musical comments, and in Ashkenaz ritual, when the Chazan repeats Shmon Esrei, it says, B'nei Beit HaKivatchila, they should rebuild the Beit HaMikdash, and here's where the phrase we use in Israel, Toknit B'nei Beitcha. You know, you get a plot of land, build your house. It comes from this davening of Musaf. B'nei Beitcha, build your house. But in the context of the davening, it's B'nei Beitcha Kivat build your Beit HaMikdash like it was originally. What does that mean? Not like the way it was in second Beit HaMikdash, where it was a flimsy structure, and even after Hordus rebuilt it, it still didn't have the glory of what Shlomo Amela built, and therefore we say, B'nei Beitcha Kivat that we should have the building as originally built, not in its uh, second-hand uh, variety of the second Beit HaMikdash era. era. So the Chazan says it as follows. And the Rav said, those are the musical notes of Elitzion Ve'areha, the last piyut of Tisha of Kinot. Elitzion Ve'areha. The exact same notes. And he says that the reason why the Chazan does that is that he musically throws us back to Tisha B'Av on Yom Tov. So that when you, you, you're reflecting about Beit HaMikdash, in anticipation of the building of the third, you should have a pang of mourning, of Avelut, that the spirit of Tisha B'Av also uh, it, it really truncates that simcha that you're anticipating the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, it'll be, but we don't have it now, and we have to recognize that. Uh, and that was an interesting musical comment, yeah. Because Tishba is, is not on the exact day, are the alochas of Tishba the same? That's today's shear. Okay. <laughs> So you're going to get a, that was a setup, right? I planted you. I planted you to ask that question. 
That's the title. Tishabov Nidhiliyom Rishon. Tishabov that's deferred, pushed to the to Sunday. And what, what the uh, what the deal is. So just to get on track, the Mishnah, the first source, the Mishnah Masehad Rosh Hashanah, in the first chapter tells us that when they did the visual sighting of the moon for Rosh Chodesh, so then the Beitin sent out messengers to the various communities to alert them of a particular Rosh Chodesh, so they should know, it would be very important to know when the first of the month was, because in those months you have some occasion during the month. And it's not only just as a marker, where it says, Ala Nisan, they sent out for Nisan, so we should know Pesach, should know when Pesach is, the 15th. It's not only so you know when Pesach is, but the halachic status of the 15th is governed by the 1st. If not for the fact that there was Kiddush HaChodesh on the 1st, there would be no sanctity of the 15th for Pesach. And according to Rashbam, Rabbi Shlomul ben Meir, and that's uh, Rashi's grandson, makes a comment in Masechet Baba Batra, Davkuf Kavalev, where he says when the procedure of the uh, visual sighting of the moon took place in Beitin, so the Dayanim said, Mikudash, the day is sanctified. And then the Rikhal, the community there, responded, Mikudash, Mikudash. And, he wants, and Rashbam wants to know why was there a double-edged response. He says one was to affirm the Kedusha of the day of Rosh Chodesh, and the second was to affirm the Kedusha for any day during the month that will become a designated special day. So that's why they said Mikudash, Mikudash, and it's all relevant to Rosh Chodesh. So he says, the Mishnah says, Al Nisan, they sent out a messenger of messengers for Nisan because of Pesach, Al Ha'av for for month of Av, the because of Tishavav. So there would be no ninth of Av, there would be no halachic status of ninth of Av unless there's the first of Av. Al Elul b'mnei Rosh Hashanah. One second, Rosh Hashanah is not an Elul, except that there is a tradition from the days of Ezra that Rosh, that the month of Elul never had more than twenty nine days. Each month could theoretically have twenty nine or thirty days. Theoretically, in our calendar, there's no more theory. It's all built in. Half the months are twenty nine, and half the months are thirty. But Elul traditionally would only have twenty nine. Which means, if you knew when Rosh Chodesh Elul was, you really knew when Rosh Hashanah was as well. But then they also sent out for Tishrei, Mibnei Takanat HaMoadot. Two reasons. One is, you know, maybe there was an aberration, and Elul did carry a 30th day, so then they'd have to rewrite the calendar retroactively. That's called Takanat HaMoadot. But also for Yom Kippur and for Sukkot. In order to establish that there was Yom Kippur and Sukkot, seems to be an echo. In order to have established Yom Kippur and Sukkot, you had to have Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, which is Rosh Hashanah. It's an echo. Okay. Okay. okay, there's nothing. I don't know if you can do anything about it. Said so the right. You know, the Rav once said this at a tshuva drasha. Once the Rav started a tshuva drasha in uh, one of the auditoriums in, in a hotel in Midtown Manhattan, and it was an, uh, three thousand people sitting there. There was an echo, and people said, that "You have, to, you know, I have to fix it." There's an echo. So, uh, so the Rav says, "The drasha is so good. I wanted to hear it again." <laughs> he said this at the beginning of Shir. It's on tape, man. And they kissed like because of Hanukkah, Adar because of Purim. And when there was Beit HaMikdash was standing, they also sent out for Iyar. Because of Pesach Katan. What is Pesach Katan? Sheni, right. We call it Pesach Sheni. But the Chachamim called it uh, miniature or mini or junior Pesach, the month of Iyar. If somebody did not bring the Korban Pesach in his time in Nisan, he had a make-up opportunity a month later. So, so what I'm focusing is on the underline, that for the month of Av, they sent out messengers. What about... Tammuz, for Shavazah Tammuz. What about Tevet, for the, for the Asarabah Tevet? So in the source number two, in, Mish, in Parish Mishnah, Mishnah commentary, Rambam says, Ubebayit Shini, in the second Beit HaMikdash, Lo yu mit'anim, lo asiri b'tevet, lo Shavazah Tammuz. Nobody fasted Shavazah Tammuz while the second Beit HaMikdash stood, nor Asarabah Tevet. Ela harutzeh yitaneh, o shelo yitaneh. It was optional. And as an optional thing, Beitin didn't have to bother sending out messengers to advise when was the first of the Tammuz and when was the first of Tevet. Fine, we understand that. And it says in the Pasuk, 
אמר השם, עם זכריה, כה אמר השם צבאות, צום הרביעי וצום החמישי, צום השביעי, צום עשירי, it will become your, all these four צומות will be יום טוב. But one second, צום החמישי, תאב is mentioned in this פסוק as well. So just jump to the last two lines of this source. והיו מתענים תשעה באב. רמב״ם takes a very very interesting stand and it goes against the grain of all the other Rishonim. He believes that in the, during the course of the second Beit Mikdash era we all still fasted on Tisha B'Av. Even though Beit Mikdash was up and running. And that's strange. With regard to the other fast days, you know, they, they, were, they were still there but not really marked. But Tisha B'Av Everybody did fast, and that's why the Shlucho Beitin sent messengers for Rosh Chodesh Av that we should know when Tisha B'Av was. So the Ramam explains why. It's also something that was like um, gave, given over to your discretion. You want to fast, you don't want to fast. You tell that to people today, 99.9 will say they don't want to fast. It's a day that was compounded with Tzarot. And I think the Rambam is alluding to something that they, when, you, when you measure the grandeur of the first as opposed to the second, not only in terms of physical presence, but also in terms of its spiritual value, there's no question the first Beit HaMikdash exceeded the second by, by many, many spiritual rungs. Uh, for example, in the second Beit HaMikdash, there was no Aron in the Kodesh Kodeshim. In the second Beit HaMikdash, the Urim Betumim, this mode of communication of the coin Gadol, for the king to ask questions, did not function any longer. He could not ask him a question and get letters to flash on the Choshen. Didn't work. It was short-circuited, if you may. There were, there were things that just didn't happen. Many, many of the miracles that are discussed in Pirkei Avot that happened in Beit HaMikdash did not happen in the second Beit HaMikdash. All this indicating that the second Beit HaMikdash there, there, there was um, Kadosh Baruch, Baruch, God's presence was less pronounced to the extent that this led Christianity, Christian theology, to believe that the whole Second Beit Mikdash era was a spiritual hoax and farce, and there was no spiritual connection between God and His people, because Christianity believes that the covenant between God and the Jewish people comes to an abrupt end with the destruction of the first Beit Mikdash, and the Second Beit Mikdash was just a show; it was not, it was not for real. It was not for keeps. And, 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 and that's what they believed. They believed that there was a second coming in the New Testament, and now there's a new chosen people, and it has nothing to do with the Jewish people. So the, uh, that is why, I'm not going to digress too much now, but that is why Hanukkah became such an important Yom Tov and maintained for generations to come because it was a momentary flash of divine presence during the second Beit HaMikdash. That's why it was important. It became very, very important. Even though it was momentary, but it was better than nothing. And, and it's not an accident, don't get me started now, but it's not an accident that Hanukkah is on the 25th and Christmas is on the 25th also. It's not an accident. Those two dates. That's the, it has nothing to do with the song of the 60s in the year 2525. There, 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 there was 25th of Kislev and 25th of December. There is a relationship between the number 25 and 25. And that's why... Um, so the Ramam says, the Ramam says that um, we did fast during Bayit Sheni, the second Mikdash era, on Tisha B'Av because of the gap between the first and the second. And as to Hukbal Boatzarot, that that's very indicated in the Mishnah in the source number three, where it's underlined and it says B'Tisha B'Av Nigzar Alabotenu Shloyekonsu Baaretz. This is already the story of the Meraglim. That that happened on Tisha B'av. The Charava Beit Yerushanah, first Beit Midrash was destroyed. Bubashnia and the second, Vinil Kedah Beitar, which means the Bar Kochba revolution collapses also on Tisha B'av. Vinech Rishayir, and this has to do with the Hadrianic persecutions when when Adrian uh, levels the area of Beit Midrash and builds uh, Ilia Kapolonia, a temple to the gods on the site of Beit Midrash and forbids Jews from residing in Yerushalayim. To use the Nazi expression, it became Judenrein, free of Jews at that point. And that is why the Talmud of Eretz Yisrael, which was always referred to as Talmudan de Eretz Yisrael, and in the literature, up until many years ago, it was always called the Palestinian Talmud, so it was nicknamed the Yerushalmi. It was not written in Yerushalayim. There were no Chachamim in Yerushalayim at that time. 
at all. They were the lower Galil. The idea of the Ushalmi, the Ushalmi was written from uh, Caesarea, Caesarea on the coast, Tsipori in the center, and Tveria on the east. That was the line. Uh, that's road number 65, by the way. Um, it's an old road built of Krishna built on that old road of the lower Galil. That's where the activity of the Chachme Eretz Yisrael uh, was. So, you have. Uh, you have the, this, and now we go to source number four and see a story about Tzipori. I just mentioned Tzipori. Omer Ablaza, Omer Abichanina. Rablaza says in the name of Rabichanina. Rebbe, that's Rabbi Udanasi. Uh, Rabbi Udanasi, let's mark him. Um, he is two generations after Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is the Bar Kokhba revolution, and that is the, um, the beginning. It's, it, it's a. Uh, Rakov Revolution was 65 years after the Churban, so, so now Rabbi Akiva is the end of the 2nd century, beginning of the 3rd century, and Rabbi, it says Rabbi Udanasi, what did he do? Natan Tiyabipurim, the source is Masechet Megillah, so that's how it just gets into this Masechet, he would plant trees on Purim, that, that has to do with the fact that there's a whole discussion if you're allowed to do work on Purim. That, that's, that's, and that's not our concern right now. But he did other things. Rachatz Krona shel tzipori. Karon means like a, they use it for a railroad car, right? A caravan. Correct. The word caravan, you can even see the word caravan. If you just look at that word krona, you see the word caravan in English. It's a karon. So what was that caravan? That caravan was like a mikvah. It was a bathhouse mikvah type of situation. And he would wash in the karona of tzipori when? On Shavasa Batamus. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong? It's a fast day, correct? Now, what's wrong with that? Are you allowed to wash your hands or wash your body on the 17th of Tammuz? The answer is yes. It's a machloket between the Ramban and others. And our Psaq Halakha is that uh, we're lenient on this one. We're lenient on this one. There's no prohibition of washing on Shavasa Batamuz. There's a prohibition of washing on Tishabov, but not on Shavasa Batamuz. But apparently, the opinion of that generation was not to wash, which then becomes the Ramban's point of view. But Rabbi Udanasi took the issue with it, and he did wash himself on Shavasa Batamus, indicating that he had a different point of view. But here comes the most important. Ubi He wanted to uproot Tishabav. Now, what does that mean? Uproot Tishabav. The Lohodu, they didn't agree. No, 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 you're out of, you're wrong. This is not going to happen. You can't uproot Tishabav. And then comes another statement. We're not through with this. Amar Lefanav, Rabbi Abba Barzavda. Rabbi Abba Barzavda, another Amora, says, one second, you got the story wrong. Rebbe, he's telling Rabbi Hanina. First it was Rabbi Elazar in the name of Rabbi Hanina. And now somebody else enters the picture, Rabbi Abba Barzavda. And he says, Rebbe, you have the picture wrong. Lo That's not what happened. Ella, what did Rabbi Udanasi want to uproot? Tishabov Shechaliot B'Shabbat Havi. It was a year where Tishabov came out on Shabbat, and the Chachamim said, you have to fast it on Sunday. It's pushed to Sunday. And to that he didn't agree. He says, no, if Tishabov comes out on Shabbos, so that's it. So there's no fast day that year. Tishabov doesn't budge from its place. It stays. You can't fast, you can't fast. But there's no Sunday. There's no idea of moving it to Sunday. It was pushed to left to Shabbos. said, If already pushing it to another day, so the whole fast day gets pushed off the, off the, off the radar charts. It's just not going to happen. If you're pushing, let's push. The Chachamim did not agree to this. So now you have Rabbi Udanasi as a single opinion, but you now have others suggesting that Rabbi Udanasi, his opinion is not correct, and the Gemara quotes the Pasuk in Kohelet, Kari Aleha, this seems to smack of what Shlomo Melech said in Kohelet, Tovim Hashnayim in Echad, two heads are better than one. So what does it mean two heads are better than one? What does it actually mean? So in the next source, the Ritva, one of the Rishonim, explains, he says, Rashi's view and Tosa's view, that really means that we've got two opinions now against one, so therefore the two opinions that report that, that Rabbi Udanasi's opinion was rejected, that's going to be the Halakha. And indeed, that is the Halakha. That when Tisha B'Av comes out on Shabbat, we push it to Sunday and fast it on Sunday. So there is a fast day on Sunday. But you do see that it was under discussion in the days of the Chachamim, days of the Mishnah, 
that uh, the Rabbi Yudanasi thought that there was no need to have a fast day on the 10th of, uh, of if Tisha B'Av happened to have come out on the 9th on Shabbat. So this subject matter already tells us that there's an opening here for the Tisha B'Av on Sunday as a nitra, as a day that was pushed from Shabbat, to be considered on some level more lenient. So more lenient doesn't mean total abolition, but more lenient could have some very practical uh, implications. Yeah, Rivka. Why didn't they discuss Shavuot Tammuz, which comes out on the same day? Right, because Shavuot Tammuz and Asar and Tzom were anyway considered a lower level fast day. We eat in the nighttime, the fast for Sassam. Right, it's, it's, it, it, none of them, none of them. The, the assumption is that if Rabbi Yudanasi thought that Tisha B'av is not pushed to Sunday, so you can make a Kal V'chomer, you can, right, the logic will dictate that it would apply for Shavas of Atamas as well. Why the opposite? Why the opposite? Right. Right, no, the assumption is that Rabbi Yudanasi didn't fast on Sunday either of Shavas of Atamas. Like this year, that's the assumption. That's good enough for him, it's good enough for you. Okay, good. There you go. Okay. And now, we'll see that the date Tisha B'Av is also something that's not ironclad. In order, so let's, let's posit that um, the great halachas break down into two camps on what exactly is the nature of Tisha B'Av pushed to Sunday. Does it mean that the calendar date remains where it is. You cannot shift the calendar date. Kids born on Shabbat Tisha B'Av is Bar Mitzvah is Tisha B'Av. You know, no way, else, no way to, else to slice the pie. The date is the date. But the concept of the fast of Tisha B'Av is tomorrow. It's on the 10th of Av. So who cares? The, fa- the calendar now reads the 10th of Av. But from a halachic point of view, it's the fast of Tisha B'Av. So we call it Tisha B'Av, even though it's not the ninth. Similar to, we have uh, 19 brachot of our Shmon Esrei. Shmon Esrei means 18. Because originally it was 18 brachot. Later on they added the 19th. But it already has a generic name. It's Shmon Esrei. So even on Shabbat, you'd have seven brachot of Shmon Esrei. So there's no 18. The 18 is irrelevant. So the, so, but we call it that. So Tisha B'Av doesn't mean the calendar date. It means the special fast that we do to commemorate the Churban. So usually it's on the ninth above. But sometimes it's on the 10th above. What's the difference? But it's, the, it's called Tisha B'Av, which means Shabbat is regular, just a regular Shabbat. And tomorrow's Tisha B'Av, even though the calendar reads the 9th above, the 10th above, rather. Is or, Isn't it true that Mars of Mikdash was on the 10th? We're getting there. We're getting there. You're anticipating? Good, 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 good. Or, does it mean, does it mean that the Tisha B'Av is Shabbat? Tisha B'Av is actually Shabbat with all its trimmings, but there's only one catch. There's a prohibition of fasting on Shabbat. So we have to make it up tomorrow. So what we make up tomorrow is not fasting on Tisha B'Av. We're, fasting, we're not fasting this year on Tisha B'Av. We're making up a fast day. That's all. I should have fasted yesterday. The Aloha re, uh, restricted me from fasting yesterday because it was Shabbat. So I make, it's a make-up. That's all. But as a make-up, that doesn't mean that the day became Tisha B'Av. When's Tisha B'Av? Tisha B'Av on Shabbat. Now, there are enormous differences between the first understanding and the second. Because there are things that you're not allowed to do on Tisha B'Av in private. Say, marital relationship is, is forbidden on Tisha B'Av. So is it forbidden on Shabbat Tisha B'Av or not? Well, if you understand the first way that Tisha B'Av is uprooted from the calendar and transplanted upon Sunday the 10th, then Shabbat is just a regular Shabbat. You do what you want. But if Shabbat is Tisha B'Av, but the fast day has to be made up on Sunday, so then the prohibitions of Dovah Shabbat Sinah, that's which we don't do privately, are in force for Shabbat as well. So that's number one. Number two, the question about restriction on subject matter of Torah study. So we know that on Tisha B'Av, there's no, there's no absolute prohibition of Torah study. There's a serious reduction of Torah study that promotes Simcha. That promotes Simcha. So it, it doesn't have to be a subject matter of Simcha. There are people, yes, there are people who very much enjoy Torah study. It gives them, a, gives them energy, vitality, and so on. Uh, it, it, it's a source of Simcha, and so on. So that, that, should be, that is restricted on Tisha B'Av every year. All that kind of learning is restricted. What is permissible on Tisha B'Av? 
that which promotes evil, mourning. So you're allowed to study Eicha and the Medrash Eicha, and you're allowed to study your parts of your Miyau and sections of the Chumash that talk about Churban and, and Galut. The things that, you know, you get the pressed reading. That you're allowed to uh, read and study on Tisha B'av. So are those limitations uh, active for Shabbat Tisha B'av or not? Well, it depends. If Tisha B'av is totally uprooted from Shabbat to Sunday, then on that Shabbat you can study Torah, whatever you'd like. But if Tisha B'av, it remains Tisha B'av on Shabbat, and all we're doing is making up the fast on Sunday, then these restrictions kick in for Shabbat Tisha B'av as well. So, okay, so, so now the question is going to be, so what's the Psaq, right? So, it's, it's, you'll see in a few minutes that not all the poskim came up with a definitive sack. So then we, we, we sometimes a little bit machmer on both ends, but we'll see sometimes we're makel on both ends. Because this leads to many, 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 many differences. And why is this so? What led to this whole discussion? That in Tanakh, Tishabov is not mentioned once as being the date of the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. There are two sources. One is Balachim Bet, the last chapter, and one is Yirmiyahu, the last chapter. One says that the destruction took place on the 7th of Av, and one says it took place on the 10th of Av. None of them say the 9th. So the Gemara tries to resolve this contradiction, and says, you know what, the, the, the Beit HaMikdash began burning on the 7th, and it burned on the 8th, and on the 9th, and by the 10th it was totally consumed. But um, the bulk of the burning was on the 9th, but it really started on the 7th. So one source advises us that this was a three, four day burning, and it started on the 7th and completed on the 10th. So this led, if you just switch, uh, flip the page in the top side of the second page, it says, Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan is one of the great Amoraim of Eretz Yisrael. He says, If I would have been there when they established the fast of the month above, I would have made the fast day on the 10th, because that's the day the Beit HaMikdash was consumed totally. That was the day that the Beit HaMikdash was consumed by fire. But Chachamim, Rabbanan, they said otherwise. The real, real, full-fledged burning started on the 9th. And that's more significant to us than the tenth. What does that mean? What, are we going to argue now whether the beginning of the burning is more serious or the end of the burning is more serious? What the Chachamim had in mind against Rabbi Yochanan's view is that the destruction of Beit HaMikdash does not mean a building is burning. It means that Am Yisrael lost the Beit HaMikdash. Then the fire does its thing. It takes time for it to consume a building. But the loss of Beit HaMikdash from Am Yisrael's point of view was on the 9th of Av. That's when it really, really matters to us. And that's the day that we're going to fast. What's interesting, that with regard to the second Beit HaMikdash, the, um, with regard to the second Beit HaMikdash, uh, so we do have sources like Josephus that Tisha B'av was the day. I mean, there's not a question that Tisha B'av is the day that it was always observed as the day of fasting for uh, first Beit HaMikdash, the second Beit HaMikdash, rather. With regard to the first, we, we see these dates, so the 7th and the 10th, maybe the 9th, and I'll even throw in another source of the Talmud Yerushalmi, maybe it was Rosh Chodesh. And I believe that the whole, gen, uh, 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 the whole idea of the nine days, where does that come from? So it's two things. One is, has to do what I said at the outset, that if there's no Rosh Chodesh Av, there's no Tisha B'Av, so Rosh Chodesh is already much the beginning of the process of the Churban. That's a halachic response. But there's another idea. There's a whole question in Talmud Yerushalmi, how do you mark the three weeks? I've said this in different contexts of different shurim of Shabbat Zavatamos, that there's an opinion that says that the, in the destruction of the first Beit Mikdash, the uh, crashing of the walls didn't take place on the 17th of Tammuz, but took place on the 9th of Tammuz. And count three weeks down the road, you can hit Rosh Chodesh. And Rosh Chodesh was observed in some communities as the day of the destruction of Beit Mikdash. So now you have the 1st, you have the 7th, you have the 10th, and the 9th. And so this already tells us that the date itself is less critical. What's more critical is the month. So if Tisha B'Av comes out on Shabbat, fasting on the 10th is not much different than fasting on the 9th or the 7th or the 1st. 
It's a day in the fifth month. And how does Zechariah call it? Tzoma Hamishi, the fast of the fifth month, without putting a finger on a specific date within that month. So that's the understanding that Tisha B'Av indeed can be uprooted from the ninth and transplanted on the 10th. So this year Tisha B'Av happens to be the calendar date, the 10th of Av. So what? But it's also one of the target dates of observance of the Churban, of the structure of Beit HaMikdash. So this is all just to plant the seeds of, um, of, of trying to understand um, how the two dates can be uh, uh, understood and observed uh, identically, separately, it gives a little bit of a, a framework before we're going to get now to the uh, bare bones halacha. But in order to get to that, I wanted to just look at the second part, the latter part of source number six. Um, I, I would I would begin from the top of the page, count four lines down. There's a tradition here that Mishacharab Beit Hamikdash Barishona, when the first Beit Hamikdash was destroyed. I'm, I'm four lines uh, down the page of the second side. Haya erev tisha bav haya. It was the, on erev. It was the ninth of av, and it was mutzei shabbat. It was and it was mutzei shviyit haya. That year was the was the year after shemitah. Umishmarato shul yehoya rivaita. The kohanim were divided into twenty four families, and it was the family of the yehoyariv family, and the yeleviim were singing shira. Now one second, Matzah Shabbos means it's Yom Rishon B'Shabbat. Yom Rishon B'Shabbat is Tilim Perek of Dalit, the David Mizmor L'Hashem But they opted that morning, that night, as the Beit HaMikdash was burning, the Levim was singing Shira. What does that mean? My gosh, the Levim was singing songs as the Beit HaMikdash is now going up in flames? What were they singing? So obviously this song is a tefillah, a last ditch effort to implore HaKadosh Baruch Hu to stop the destruction. So they selected today, today's Wednesday. What did we say this morning? Ayom Ravi B'Shabbat. Kel Nekamot Hashem, Kel Nekamot Afiyah. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take revenge against, against. So we came back now from Poland. That word was a word that was on the agenda. Revenge. How do you revenge? Many of the many of, we know from witnesses that many of the people who perish perish. What were the last words? So, so in certain circles they say everybody said Shema Yisrael and everybody said Anim Amin. I hate to break it to people, but it's not true. It's not true. People said other things, things that probably you won't even want to repeat about what they said about Hakadosh Baruch Hu at their last dying moments. But many, many re- remember because some people survived it because of a variety of reasons that the last words were Nikuma, revenge. Somebody should revenge this. That's all. It was even scratched out on a wall in one of the one of the I guess chambers. Scratched out on the wall with nails. You know, Nikuma. That, that, uh, that today we use the word the kamametuka, a sweet revenge and I say this over and over when the Holocaust survivors have a schut of standing under the chuppah with their grandchildren and, and they say this is Aziz and Nekoma a sweet, a sweet revenge so uh, we know it's hard for us to reven- take revenge but Kadosh Baruch Hu can do it kel nekamot Hashem, kel nekamot so what does it say in the Tilim Tzadik Dalid it says like they were as if to say on the platform on the stage Singing as the Beit Hamikdash is going down, Mashira Hayyumim. What did they sing already? Tilim Tzadik Dalid. By Yashov Alehem et Onam Uveraatam Yatsmitem. That means that somehow or another the anger Onam here means the anger and um, everything evil was taking over. Everything was taking over. We lost control. Anger was taking over. Power was taking over. And here we are. Am Yisrael is going down. But what is the final phrase of that pasuk? But God can overcome them too. In spite of the fact that they're at the moment of venting their anger at us, Kadosh Baruch Hu has the capacity of turning it around instantaneously. Instantaneously. But what does the Gemara tell us? We have a tradition. They never completed the pasuk. When they were overcome by the, uh, by the, they were vanquished by the enemy. 
they were vanquished by the enemy. They were in the middle of this pasuk, and boom, they could not get the last words out, Yatsmitem Hashem Elokeinu, which is symbolic. You have to understand, this is not a medrash that's now reporting on the scenes with a CNN camera. Um, here we have the Levium now, as the Beit Midrash is burning, singing their last, uh, oh, look at that, they couldn't finish the pasuk. That's not what it is. This is Chazal rewriting history with an idea that Am Yisrael was begging HaKadosh Baruch Hu for revenge. He should take revenge because we were powerless. We were powerless and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. The Yatsmitem Hashem Lokeinu never, never appeared. Never appeared. And that theme that somebody was saying something and at the split second of the completion of a sentence he's cut off was adopted by the author of the Arzeh Halvanon. Arzeh Halvanon is one of the keynote we say on Teshabav, talking about the ten martyrs, the Asara Haruge Malchut. And one of them, one stanza, is source number seven. Tzadik Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua Bachrona. And the last ones of the ten was Rabbi Loza ben Shamua. Source number seven. Neherag Matkera. He was murdered with a spear. He was stabbed with a spear. And look at this information that, the, that we have here. Yom Erev Shabbataya, it was a Friday. Zman Kiddush, it was the time to make Kiddush. Vayekadesh Vayikra. That's a quote. Vayvarach alukim et Yom HaShvi'i Vayekadesh Oto. He was reading the Pasuk Vayekadesh. And how does that Pasuk end? Kivo Shabbat Mikol Mulachto, Asher Bara Elokim Laasot. So let's look at just source number 8, what the Ramban says about the word La'asot in Breshit. Veda, and you shall know. Ki nichlal od b'mila La'asot. You know what it means, La'asot? Ki sheshit yimei Breshit hem kol yimota olam. It's a prototype, the six days of creation, of six millennia. Each day of creation reflects a thousand years of world history. So the first year, the first thousand years, it's Adam until Noah. And it wasn't such a great spiritual millennia. But there was Adam Rishon, who lived 930 years, which is the millennia. What was created on day one? Light. Or. So he was the beacon for the entire millennia. What happens in the second millennia? Noah lives 950 years. That's the second millennia. So there you have what was created on the second day. There was upper waters and lower waters symbolizing the teva that was in between the sky and the water. Everything else was drowned. And that's why there's no kitov on Monday, because it was a very, very, very bad moment for God that He had to destroy the whole world. And that's the second millennium. But then came the third. Tachyaretzdesha is sprout. The sprout was of Ramavino. And that sprouting would take a thousand years to become Am Yisrael, eventually entering Eretz Yisrael and building Beit HaMikdash. That's the third millennia. And then comes the fourth millennia, is the astronomical bodies. So that's another thousand years. 410 years of the first Beit Mikdash, that was the Shemesh. And 420 years, the second Beit Mikdash, that was the moon. There were 70 years in between, and then it lingers on a little bit till the Bar Kokhba years. It's a thousand years. That's the stars. The stars become all the Batek Neset and Batek Midrash throughout the Galut, the symbol. And then was the fifth millennia, which world history calls the period of the barbarians. And that's the fifth day of creation, the animal world. And finally is the sixth millennia, and man rises. Finally there's humanity. And what's the seventh? Yemot HaMashiach. And that means Am Yisrael is supposed to move the world, and that's why Ramban understood the word La'asot. Do it, do it, do it. Keep moving it, keep moving it. And what is Rabbi Loza ben Shamua doing at the moment of the Churban? It's not the Churban anymore. It's the Merit Bar Kochba. What is the Merit, the Bar Kochba revolution? They already had three years, almost three years of independence, political independence in Eretz Israel. The coins were found of Shimon Bar Kuziba Nisi Israel, which means Melech Israel. They had plans to build the third Beit HaMikdash already. And they thought that if there were 70 years between the first and second, there'll be 70 years between the second and the third. And they were 68 years into it, the second Galut already. They really believed. Rabbi Kiva thought it was it. He thought it was it. So what was he doing? He was moving the Lasot very, very quickly. Very quickly. He was moving into the Shabbat realm of the world's existence. Lasot. So go back to number seven. 
Charaf Cherev Shalfolav, a sword was waved at him. He never finished the sentence of the Kiddush. Yeah, he got up to there, but when he got up to the word Lasot, he never said it. But he never said the word Lasot. Very similar concept to what the Gemara said in the previous source. Because this wasn't to be. And that's what the Rambam tells us in source number 9. That Rabbi Akiva thought that Bar Kuziba, Bar Kochba, was Mashiach, but when he died, when he was killed, they realized that he wasn't. And that era comes to an end. So, what's the story with Tishabov pushed to Sunday? So, let's look at source number 10. Source number 10 comes to Gemara Masechet Eruvin, Omer Bloza Berabit Sadok, Ani Ayiti Bibnei Sanav Ben Binyamin. There were groupings of families that made donations to Beit HaMikdash for wood for the uh, Mizbeach. It was a, and, and it was a big kavod to have to be part of that delegation, family delegation, to bring the wood for the Mizbeach. And the day that they would bring the wood for the Mizbeach, it was a, like a private family yomtov for that mishpocha. Okay, so Rablazim and Sadok says... I am part of, I'm a descendant of Sanav ben Benjamin, this particular family that had a, uh, a position in bringing the wood to the Mizbeach. once upon a time, Chal came on a Shabbat, and their family date was the 10th of Av. That was the date that they were assigned to bring wood. And Tishabov came out on Shabbat. Vidachinuhu lachar Shabbat, and it was pushed to Sunday. And on that day that we in the family, this is all after Beit HaMikdash. This man is talking after the Chorban. The family still maintained it as a family yomtov. The tenth of Av and our family is a yomtov because the Elta Zayda, the great-grandfather, brought wood to the Mizbech on the tenth of Av. So how did we conduct ourselves? Hitaninu bo, we fasted on the tenth of Av on Sunday. Velohishlamnuhu, we did not complete the fast. It means they broke the fast in the afternoon. That's what it means. They broke the fast. They did not complete the year day as a fast day. It was a private yomtov. Now that's an interesting source. Because it was taken, lifted out of context, and now applied to other types of smachot, like a brit milah. Like a brit milah. So we know there's a concept called a bal brit. So who's the bal brit? Bal brit is the father of the baby, the moil, and the sandak. So... Today we know that if the father of Moel or Sadak are shul, so they don't say Tachnun that day. There's an ex- that's the bare bones uh, halacha. There's an expanded minute that says if there's a Brit in that shul, there will be the father, will be the Moel, obviously a Brit will be a Moel. So, uh, and it will be, even though he's not davening at this minion, so not every shul does this, but I came to Ol Nechama and I found... That's the minig. The last thing in the world I'm going to start up with is a minig where people don't say tachlan on a certain day, and I'm going to start telling them you do say tachlan. So I didn't do that, you know. So okay, so today this morning, so we weren't sure. Usually I get a notice. So the fellow in the hall takes me to the hall, sends me a text message the night before, sometimes as late as six in the morning, and I know that that day there's no tachlan. I advise the minyanim accordingly. Today we didn't get such a notice, but what were there? There were balloons set up in the hall. So I asked Rabbi Dani Trapa, I said, what's the deal with the balloons? So he said, balloons in the afternoon mean nothing, but balloons at six in the morning means no tachnon. <laughs> this morning, balloons, balloons set up in the hall at six in the morning means no tachnon. You don't have to ask any kashas. Yeah, yeah. There was a shul in Chicago. I went to a moil tavern there. If you were if you were tied, it was a bridge. Yes. You go to the Stiebler for Mincha at 20 after 1. There is a tug of war between two of the rooms that are simultaneously davening Mincha to drag him into, because he always has Britot in the afternoon. If he's through for the day, you're lost. But a professional moil probably has a Brit yet at 2 or 3 here in Yerushalayim. So there's a tug of war, you know, come here, come here, come here. I mean, you're going to save, you know, about 45 seconds. You know, and that's like really big time. And, and if, you know, if it's a Thursday morning or Monday morning, ooh, it's a long time, you save two minutes. You know, it's a tremendous savings. You know? And everybody's really besimcha. If there's a, somebody asked me if there's a Brit Shenisha Goliath, you know, that if we have today, maybe tomorrow also not. 
or once we had to do a two brito, the morning brit and the afternoon brit, so we want to know if we can use one for tomorrow, and not the same time. I'm telling you, all kinds of, we have a great time at the six o'clock minion in the morning, and it's all about tachnan. So what happens? What is the, the tour? Who's the tour? Rabbi Yaakov ben Asher, the forerunner of Shulchan Aruch. Maaseh shechal tisha b'vishabat. Maisa. I mean, you think this is a once in a blue moon occurrence, but look what happened. There was a story. Tisha b'av came out on Shabbat. V'nitcha, and it was ad lemacharato, and it was pushed to Sunday. Vayar Rabenu Yavitz. This is not the Yavitz, the famous Yaakov Emden. One of the Rishonim of the Balei Tosfot also had this name, Yavitz. We know Yavitz, the famous Yavitz, was uh, Yaakov ben Tzvi. That's what the and the Tzvi is the Chacham Tzvi, the famous Chacham Tzvi. And the family name became Javitz, uh, like in Senator Jake Javitz or Javitz Center of Manhattan. This is, but this is a, a forerunner yet, and this is uh, from days of Rishonim. So he's quoting Rabenu Yavitz. Bal Brit, he was a Bal Brit. Vit Palel Mincha Mibod Yom Gadol. Let me just say uh, that in the, in the Alt Neuschul in Prague, there it was such a central synagogue, in the days of the Maral, that if there was a Brit in the uh, Alt Neuschul, the Gabayim sent messengers to all the shuls of Prague, not to say Tachnon, because it was a Simcha for Okila. So what do you have here? The story of Rabbi Yaakov Bel Brit on the 10th of Av, that people are fasting, because Tisha Shabbos. They did mincha gedoyla like at one thirty in the afternoon. Rachatz he bathed the lohi shlim tanitos, which means Tishavov came to an abrupt end at one thirty in the afternoon because they're doing a brit. Lefisha yomtiv shalohaya. It was his yomtiv. It was obviously he was the bal brit. Veraya and he brought a proof. What the bright that brings him a Sevete Ravin, which was source number 10, Omer of Lezim and Sadok, Ani Iti Mimnei Sana Ben Binyamin, Vechal Tishabah B'Shabbat, Vedachinu Ad Lachar Shabbat, the scenario of Shabbat and Push to Sunday, Hitaninu Bo Veloi Shlamnu, Mimnei Shiyomtov Shalanu Hayah. Notice they lifted it out of the Gemara, Mesechate Ravin, and says, we're, now, we're not bringing wood to the, to the Mizbeach, but we're making a Brit, it's a private family yomtov, and therefore I have the same prerogative to end Tishabov when it's a nitcha. When it's a nitcha, when it's a push to Sunday. So the Shulchan Aruch now comes in, kicks in, this is Rabbi Yosef Karo, in source number 12. Tet ba'av, Tishabov, Shechaliot b'Shabbat, v'nitcha liyom b'shon, it's push to Sunday. Bal Brit, mitpalel mincha ba'od ayom gadol, v'rochetz, and bathes. Does he echoes the sentiment of what the tour brought the story of Rabbeinu Yavitz in source number 12. On source number 12, you have the Chavetz Chaim's Mishnah Bura. So he wants to tell you who's a Baal Brit. So he says in 13, Baal Brit, included in this is Aviaben, the father of the child, Imo, Imo. Let's not forget about the mother. Which means, which means, if the father is absent, and there have been Britot where the father's not there, he's in the army, it happened in this country, or Shaloni Damitzarot, he was killed before or died before the baby was born. So there's a Brit, and the mother's there. So you might say that she's not a Balat Simcha, because who has the obligation to do the Brit if there's no father in the picture? Not the mother. Who has the obligation? The the, not the baby either. <laughs> no, no, no. What? Beitin. What does Beitin mean? Klal Yisrael. Beitin, correct, as an agent of Klal Yisrael. Now, obviously, the mother's going to be there too. Mishra Brewer sticks his neck out and says the mother's a Balat Simcha here. For the same thing, if she's there, so she's a Balat Simcha. And the Moyel, of course, and the Sandak. So sometimes the Sandak doesn't know he's Sandak until he gets to the Brit. That's why it's always a good idea to tell them before him, because there's some people who are Sandakaud and they go to the Mikvah before. So you really should tell the Sandak day before, at least the day before, and then he can tell the Shul that he's davening, hey, no Tachnon today, though. That's like a big one. But we call the the uh, kvata, right? So one of our britot, you know, thank, we, we've seen logat kibbutz goliot, thank God, but also mizug goliot, where the where the exiles are merging, which takes place under the chuppah. That's mizug goliot. You have uh, from one ethnic origin, another ethnic origin. So uh, the brit of one of our kids. So uh, my daughter uh, uh, married somebody who's from the Tunisian stock. So it reflected itself under the chuppah for sure. With you know, you hear the different brachot and so on. So um, at the 
Brit, we had a Yemenite Moyel, a very fine fellow from Ramot. He knew the minag of everybody, and he starts off with this beautiful Brit Yitzchak melody song that the Sfaradim do before the Brit, and then he completes it, and you don't realize he just finished, and then he goes, Tovav Rimda Ashkenaz, we're going to Ashkenaz, Kvata! And he yells out, Kvata! You know, the way Yosel is the the Moyel Bishalayim used to do it, Kvata! And then all of a sudden you realize, hey, we just shifted gears, and we're now into an Ashkenazi mode, and, uh, and so on. So this is the Machnis Umotzi, and I heard once from Dr. Afshalom Kor, Mori Rabbi Belashon, that Kvater and Godfather is the same word. Even though we use Godfather for Sandak, we call the Sandak the Godfather, as in the Italian Mafia, right? No, the, the movie, the Godfather, is translated as Sandak. But, uh, but the word Kvater, Godfather, you hear it? You see it? You, now they, they, they are related. No different than Almana, which is a widow, and Alimony which are payments given to a divorced woman. So it's not the same scenario, but you can see that there's connection, philologic connection between the words. So, So if the, if the kvata, you know, couple, the one who brings in the baby is in shul, that's not a reason to dispense with tachnam. The kolchken sharei all the other invited guests, that doesn't mean anything for tachnam purposes. Nevertheless, Avshem utorim lechol, even though it's permissible for these individuals, father, mother, and really with the mother it's almost irrelevant because she, she's not going to fast Tisha B'Av anyway. She's a Yolet, she's a Yolet. After, after Tisha B'Av, she has 30 days, you know, for sure, for every Tisha B'Av, for every Tisha B'Av. Lo Yasu B'Yom Suda Gidola. Don't, they shouldn't have a big feast. Kemos Chosim B'Shara Yamim you shouldn't make the same big feast for these three people you're not going to make a big you know catered affair you know you just have a sandwich and you know and something and that's all but they're allowed to eat now after this the, the same Chavetz Chaim who's in his Bi'ur Halacha on the same page of the Mishnabura he adds on the words which means they don't complete the fast which means they fast until the early afternoon hours even a regular person forget about a Brit this year on Sunday you start the day of a fast and it's 1 o'clock, 1.30 and you don't feel good that means deathly ill you eat on your kippah so what are we talking about now? you're weak, you feel you're dehydrating you're getting a bad headache you don't feel good you gotta lie down then according to the Mishra the Chavetz Chaim you can break your fast this year, this year, one second, and me'ubarot, pregnant women, pregnant women. And by the way, according to my daughter, Dr. Hannah, she could have, he could have added nursing women too. And nursing women, there's a psakalacha from the poskim of Bnei Brak that have become pretty much a matter of, matter of fact here, that a woman two full years after childbirth is called a meneket, a nursing mother, irrespective of whether she nursed at all. So, what you have here in the, in the very Haredi communities, that aside from Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av, aside from Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av, practically most of the women are not fasting. Because who's fasting? The Besiak of girls up to age 17, and then they're already under the Chuppah by 18, right? And then they're expecting, and then nursing, and nursing, expecting, expecting, nursing, until they're 45, and then there's Kenot, they're old. So, so then so there's really... I mean, I'm going to say something that I once said it, and I got in trouble because somebody was a little bit hurt and insulted. So I'm going to beg, beg, nobody should get insulted when I say it now. But somebody said, here in Shalayim, every woman is either Ba'agala or Bisman Kariv. <laughs> One of the two. It's funny, but it's, sometimes it's not so funny. Yeah. One question to answer, which is that mothers No, it doesn't say you're going to fast. It says you have to fast till the afternoon. No, oh, oh, somebody said something else the other day. Okay. Okay, I understand that. With regard to... Yes? Exact time? Uh, afternoon is a quarter to one. Ten to one. I think, I think it's about a ten to one. It's called chatzot. So well, let, me, let me explain. With regard to the other fast days, Tzomgedalia, Sarbatevish, Shivasavatamas, and for short, Tanit Tester, everybody says that a nursing woman and a pregnant woman does not have to fast at all. The only difference is... The Chavetz Chaim said that they do have an obligation, but they're exempt. It's an interesting way of putting it. They're obligated, but there's a Pator. The Rav's grandfather, Rav Chaim Soloveitchik from Brisk, said they were never obligated. 
That's a big difference. Because according to the Chavetz Chaim, if a nursing or pregnant woman does fast, she's a tzaddeket. And according to Rav Chaim from Brisk, she's a fool. <laughs> no, no, I'm, not, I'm serious. I'm serious. Chazichaita, that's called Chazichaita. That according to Rav Chaim, if there's no obligation whatsoever. It's not that she should, but she's allowed to eat. She shouldn't eat. She shouldn't fast, rather. According to Rav Chaim, no obligation whatsoever. And why, you know, do... But according to the Chavetz Chaim, there's an obligation, except that she's exempt. From the morning. You know, she, all the other fast days, she doesn't have to fast at all. Fine, we understand that. But Yom Kippur is a different parasha, and Tisha B'Av is also a different parasha, because it's more serious. Um, you can invite my daughter Hannah, she lectures about this, and she has medical data about this, and there's a lot of halakhic discussion today about pregnant and nursing women with regard to Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av. But... Um, at least I'm reading what the Chavetz Chaim said. He died in 1933, you know, at age 90-something, according to one opinion, under four. But this was written in the late 19th century. And he said that um, he believed that you could put people who are mildly, mildly ill, mildly ill, cholik tzad, and uh, uh, pregnant women, he doesn't mention meneket, but it goes usually hand-in-hand, hand, nursing women, into this category, that you, know, you can fast until uh, chatzot, and a little few minutes after noon, you can eat, yeah. So I mentioned the Rosh Hashanah. The most, uh, the two things I mentioned was marital relations and the the level of Talmud Torah that you're allowed to study. So I said that that depends on how we define Tisha B'Av that moved to Sunday. If the Tisha B'Av stayed in its place, but we only make up the fast, then all the restrictions of Talmud Torah are in in in, in force on that Shabbat as well. If you say that there's no Zecher of Tisha B'Av on Tisha B'Av Shabbat, and everything moved over to Sunday, then you're free to study whatever you want. And that impacts on the type of drasha that you give on Shabbat, the type of shi'ur that you might give in the afternoon. Oh, you want to know who to follow? Uh, talk to your LOR, you know, your local Orthodox rabbi. The, the, this is the OU here. What was that? So, so the truth is, we are pretty machmer. We are pretty machmer on that, that we do view Tisha B'Av and Shabbat with some of those restrictions. On the other hand, we also view the Nidcha status as being lenient. Because the Nidcha status, lenient, means fundamentally you're saying yesterday was Tisha B'Av, and today it's only a makeup. And that allows for this leniency to kick in. And the precedent of... Um, Rabbi Eloza ben Sadok, with the wood of the Mizbeach factor, that it was a, his personal Yom Tov on the Sunday of Tisha B'Av Nitcha, already opened up the Pandora's box to be lenient. And you see that it was expanded to Brit Milah, and, 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 and you see that it's that the Chavetz Chaim. Where did the Chavetz Chaim get this from? If you look in the last line of the page, in braces, it says, Chidushe Rabbi Kiva Eger. Who is Rabbi Kiva Eger? Who is Rabbi Kiva Eger? Yeah, 19th century, one of the all, all-time stars of the Achronim. A great, great, great Paisik. Now, I, I have to admit, I caught wind of this Rup Kivega before I ever saw it in the Biur Alacha of the Mishrabura uh, many years before. Uh, Rav's brother, Rav Aaron Salavechik, used to visit Eretz Yisrael often. I mean, he was a tremendous uh, Tzioini. And, uh, and at the end of his life, he actually did become an Ole Chadash. Came in Aliyah, and I'll just give you one anecdote of, of interest. Um, my chaver, uh, Dr. David Applebaum, Hashem Yikom Damo, who perished in the in the pigua with his daughter, not far from here, many years ago. Um, so he taught, he was a Talmud Muvak, a really choice Talmud of Rabbi Salvechik. He actually published the the Svarim of Rabbi Salvechik on the Rambam. Very big Talmud Chacham, David Applebaum. So he was there at Lud at the airport when Rabbi came in Aliyah with his wife. So he was processed like everybody else. So they, they asked him, you know, name, age, age. So he wrote, uh, he said, uh, 81. Okay, 81. Shnotli Mud. Shnotli Mud. How many years have you studied? So he said, 76. So they said, no, 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 no. If you studied, uh, you went to elementary school to write 8. You went to high school to write 12. You got a BA, write 16. You got an MA, write 18. You got a PhD, you know, 22. Postdoctorate, the computer explodes at 25. So Rabaran looks at the girl and says, uh, I started studying at age 5 and have not yet completed my studies. You write 76. 
and this girl wasn't planning to start up with him. So he has on his record, Shnotli Mood 76. Right, so Rabbi Zavetcher came, even before he came in LA, he lived with his son Chaim in, in Beit Shemesh. Uh, he, came, he would give shurim here in Shalim. So I heard him once at the RCA office, <clears throat> and when it was located on Rehob B'nai Brit, and he spoke about this very, very topic. It was the first time I heard the tshuva from, Rabar, from, from the Rukiva Ega. And Rabbi Zalvechik said, it's halocha lemaisa, and that's the way we should paskin, that, uh, that people, women, or uh, in, in, in the pregnant, or meneket, he then definitely said, uh, nursing women too, that they should break their fast on the afternoon hours of Tisha B'av if they bothered fasting at the beginning. Again, any of these situations, there should be a physician consulted in the, in, if there's any uh, probability of, God forbid, you know, uh, premature uh, you know, miscarriage or something like that. You have to, a doctor has to be in on the case. A woman should not fast who, who, who's pregnant or nursing without some type of medical advice. And that medical advice should be transferred to the rabbi for his evaluation. The advantage that my daughter has as a gynecologist and a halachist, she says when you call her, it's a kol kalul, it's all one package. You get the rabbi and the doctor in one, one phone call. But she does have definite opinions, and she doesn't. She echoes the sentiment of Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik from Brisk. She's not a makel. She's not lenient. She's machmer on pikuach nefesh, and that's a, just a, the other way around to look at it. To because uh, you, you, and she's very very careful, and she doesn't want on her shoulders. God forbid, one one ason should happen on her. You know. Uh, watch on her watch. Okay, hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about Tisha B'av, and one day Tisha B'av will become a great yamta for all of Klai Yisrael. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. Where does the nine days begin? So it actually begins, according to the Sephardim, that's another question, by the way. According to Ashkenazim, it starts on Friday. According to Ashkenazim, the nine days starts Friday. For sure, on Rosh Chodesh. According to Sfardim, who just go by Shavua Shechalbo Tishabav, the week that... So if you say that the Tishabav was uprooted from Shabbat and moved to Sunday, this year there is no Shavua Shechalbo. Because that Sunday to Friday, that Shabbat is not Tishabav. But if you say that Tishabav stayed in its place, but the only thing that we're moving is making up the fast day to Sunday, then the whole week is Shavu Shachalbo. It's an enormous, enormous difference. Yeah. So next week I will not be here. The week after I will, and okay. that should work. Right? I think there's going to be one more win. No, 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 no. The rest of the, then from there on, I think it looks good. Yeah. Is that why one of the religious radio stations continues to play music? With, with music, another ah. to play only a cappella. Okay, Zed, Zed. All right, do well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.